Coca-Cola is delicious. The Sad Boys Book Club is not sponsored by Coca-Cola, but I will still tout its praises because I'm a simp. Negative, Major Tom. Negative. It is imperative that you remain in the capsule. It, oh boy, there you go. It is the distant future of the year 2000. Rolling like a ball. Rolling like the mall. Rolling down the hall. Heading to a fall. Nope, it hit a wall. Heard the sirens call. Better call Saul. Sounding like a doll. I, I gotta rhyme. I'm just trying to think of a uh, of a sentence to build it. <laughs> okay. Coming after all. Actually, surprisingly small. <laughs> the next one I was going to use was tall. <laughs> wow. Leviathan wakes. Final episode. Welcome to Sad Boys Book Club. My name is Dusty. And I'm Daniel. This book was a straight up fucking 10 out of 10 for me. Wow. Coming in coming in with very high praise there. This is not going to be surprising for anyone who's been paying attention. My metric, I have my own little metric of rating system that I do. And for me, a 10 out of 10 is, I consider that as excellent and an instant favorite. And that perfectly describes this book for me. Like, it's not perfect. It is by no means perfect. But my enjoyment of it was so much so that I can't help but give this the highest possible rating that I could as a reader. Well, I think there's something to be said for that. I mean, to, to rate it based on your own sort of level of enjoyment. Um, you know, I think there's, there's you know, that's that's... I don't know. It, it can be difficult to objectively rate things, which is why I, I I tend to not at this at least at this juncture of the podcast. I don't know that I I feel like I can give good ratings, but yeah, I think that's that's a, a good rating uh, or a good system of rating that you have there, where you are using your level of personal enjoyment as as your barometer for the rating, because you know I, right now I'm going through this. I mean, this has not always been the case for me, but I've I'm in this weird phase where I don't feel very confident in uh, the way to rate a piece of art, whether that's literature or music or you know a, a video game, a, a movie. There's there's I've just had a had difficulty making real determinations because of I'm, I'm being really uh, confronted by the subjectivity of my of my perceptions uh vis-a-vis art so it's i'm having a hard time putting down like a a solid rating from a uh a a technical perspective but i think you know having a rating from an enjoyment perspective is a lot is a lot more valid it's although again we run into the problem of becoming 
even more subjective if that's even possible but yeah that's uh, i don't i don't know I, i've really but that's all that to say i you know i've i've quite enjoyed the book um i don't think i ever really ended up fully bonding with one of the characters or like the way you had um i guess the closest would be fred i, I really like fred especially um as, as as we get to see him a little bit more as the as the story goes along, but I I, I don't know I think the for me this was this was a, a lot of enjoyment of plot and a lot of enjoyment of the world. Um, I think you know Naomi and Fred were characters that I liked, but you know they weren't with the, with the exception of Fred I guess towards the the very very end, never really a point of view character so. There was not as much, um, I guess. There's not as you you don't see from their perspective as much, and they're, they're, therefore their importance in the novel is somewhat uh, minimized yeah. in that respect. I will say um, I'm happy to be wrong about about Fred. Uh, I was ready for there to be some sort of heel turn and him be like, "Oh, now the proto molecule is mine." So I'm glad to see that. And I, I said as much um, last week. But I'm glad that wasn't the case, and that he ended up being about as close to good as someone that is bogged down with the, all of this bureaucracy can be. Yeah, I I think that he he probably is, you know, essentially the best person that that could that in terms of when you're looking at the different leaderships of the of the different factions of the OPA of the Earth of Mars. We may not know the exact uh, people that are in charge of the, the the former two factions, but we can just kind of infer from the way that our characters interact with those factions that there is a little bit more. They are a little bit more. Um, I guess I would say self-interested, although that's not entirely fair. It's just. I'm trying to find the way to put it, but they're they're not necessarily as uh, well intended as Fred and the OPA at this juncture in this series seem to be. Yeah. Um. So, I feel like this final section of the book, this final fifth or so, uh, not a huge amount in the way of plot because it's it's you know it's wrapping up. A lot of a lot <laughs> of it once again goes back into. Uh, character moments as we are building towards this this finale here uh, to do a quick synopsis real quick the finale being that Miller has the plan that Eros needs to be taken care of otherwise someone is going to use it like I thought would very much be a thing that could happen and his idea is to essentially ram Eros with enough momentum so that the inertia created puts it on track to collide with the sun, destroying the station, and nobody will be able to stop it in time. And they learn that there is an Earth scientific scientific vessel and escort heading to Aero Station, so they have to work fast, they have to go now. And that's the general plan. And obviously it goes to shit, and they have to work on the fly to come up with a final solution. And so that's the general premise of this final little bit here, but most of it is spent with, honestly, Miller and his final solution, uh, both 
to the plot and as a character. And, man... Oh, those Miller chapters, those last handful were, um... I don't want to say hard, because it was still a very, very engrossing page-turner, but just being inside of his 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 mind and watching how he just kind of comes to terms with his life at that point and decides how he's going to essentially end it on his terms and how his ending comes about is just whoo lot uh just just a lot man it's Miller was the best character in this book, in my opinion. It was it was very touching in a lot of ways. I think it was a um, a very good portrayal of someone who is just you know he he's been pushed to his limit. You know he's he's just a, a very tired person, and he just doesn't really have the the energy or the inclination that it would take to uh, you know come back from the things that he has had to do uh, or has perceived he's had to do and and I guess sort of rehumanize himself. So one of the things, you know, I think that this book does very effectively is kind of show um, to a certain extent the sort of uh, emotional and perhaps spiritual exhaustion that a, a very... Uh, a life essentially that it uh, estranges you from your humanity um, is you know how how what kind of toll that takes on a person what it what it would drive them to and you know how they would they would differently perceive the world and how they would think and feel and I think that's something that is very well explored in Miller um, they, he mentions towards the end and uh, you know I guess this you know perhaps be a content warning, you know, for for what's to come. But, you know, Miller is a uh, a passively uh, suicidal person. They they you know who they mention as having suicidal ideation, and um, they uh, I, I they that's something that he mentions, and I think you could probably pick up on that if you were to go back through, um, you know, and read this a second time. You could see it through certain. Um, self-destructive behaviors, you know, uh, perhaps in the alcoholism, you know, perhaps in his uh, rather blasé way that he he uh, handles uh, going into danger, uh, particularly in moments like uh, trying to board the Rocinante from the on the uh, aero station, you know, essentially charging into gunfire, uh, you know, uh, shielding uh, limited shielding notwithstanding. I think that's still a very um, and while they didn't have necessarily a lot of oppor- other opportunities, I think it does speak to a certain sort of uh, desperation or laissez-faire uh, outlook about about protecting their lives. And I guess you know, you know finally he he even says you know when they're uh, during during this last section that we've read, you know it mentions that he is um, too tired to do. In his, I think I, I can't quite quote it, quote it line and verse, but it's it's there. It mentions that he's too tired to, I guess, make the effort to that it would take to restart his life, to kind of heal from this sort of lifetime that he's had where he is estranged from uh, human nature. Yeah, I think that's uh, 
I think that's a that's a fair assessment. He's uh, yeah. I, I think Miller is of the opinion that that he's just kind of he's he's hit his zenith, so to say, and now the best thing he can do is just see this Julie Mao and all of the proto molecule business. He could see it out in his own way, and that will be the the exclamation point at the end of a of his life. Well, I, I, I guess that is true of a certain extent, but I, I you know I, I hasten to point out that they do mention you know on, on a couple of occasions, and I, I wish I could find in my notes where I I, I mentioned this, but he that I think they made a a, a point uh, of his. You know his uh, growing suicidality. You know, in both in return, in terms of you know mentioning that he'd had a, a previous diagnosis, um, and also you know just the, the feeling of exhaustion. Um, you know, and and not and not uh, wanting to uh, continue in the life that he's he has lived, but feeling too tired to really. Uh, put in the, the the effort that it would take to, to change his life in, in some way. I feel like the most important part of Miller's storyline here at the end of the novel is the revelation he comes to inside of Arrow Station. So, uh, context. At this point, Arrow Station has dodged the Nauvoo, which was Miller's plan uh, for sending uh, Arrow Station on a collision course with the sun. They were going to ram the Nauvoo into it with such force that it would cause that amount of inertia needed. Uh, Aero Station, uh, his, Miller's plan was to stay on Aero Station and watch it happen and go out in a blaze of glory as it happens. But what happened is Aero Station just decides to dodge it as it's coming in. Just no, no biggie, just, you know, press the B button, boom, dodge. <laughs> and it starts going on an accelerated course toward Earth, which has now been causing some uh, some big stress for everybody else involved. And Miller's decision now is to... He, he's talked with Holden, and Earth is sending all of its uh, all of its nuclear arsenal on a collision course with Aerostation to try and completely wipe it out of the system. And Miller's suggestion is he's going to drag one of the nukes on the ships that the OPA brought to try and use it as a deterrence in case anyone tried to get on Eros while the Nabu was working its way there. He's going to take one of the nukes from the ship, find the quote-unquote control nerve center of the proto-molecule, and detonate it along with himself to buy, like to, to allow the nukes to hopefully hit Eros instead of having Eros dodge them like it did the Nauvoo. So there's the context. Um, he has a realization that Eros is being controlled by Julie Mao, which, man, what a twist that was. I did not expect that in the slightest. And I, I was wondering, because as he's going through Eros Station... And on the way to Eros from Tycho, he was listening to the, the, the live feed that Protogen had set up so that, the, that they could monitor. And he's listening to Eros start speaking again. And he's hearing all these voices and all these these conversations that he thinks are coming from the protomolecule learning from the systems that have a lot of recorded audio in it. 
And one of the things he's hearing as he's going through the station is, um, it's something along the lines of, uh, you can't take the razor back. You can't take the razor back. And it's being shown as two different words. You can't take the razor back. And I'm sitting there thinking as I'm reading that, I was like, wasn't, wasn't Julie Mao's her racing ship called the Razorback? I, I couldn't quite remember because it had been like 500 pages at this point. But I was I was like, isn't that Julie Mao's her racing ship thing? Wasn't it called the Razorback? That's I wonder if that's supposed to be something about Julie Mao. And lo and behold, Miller makes the connection by realizing it's you can't take the Razorback. It's you can't take the Razorback. And he gets this realization it's Julie Mao, and he contacts Holden, and he's like, I gotta find her, I can talk to her, and I can get this to stop, and we won't have to worry about the nukes. And that kind of sets up this final confrontation between Holden and the United Nations Navy. But before going too much into that, I want to stick with Miller and Julie Mao. Um, what a great finale for Miller searching for Julie Mao, finding her, and his first real conversation with her. His first and probably last. Well, eh, maybe not last, since they were together for the week or so that it would have taken for Eros to make it to Venus. But it's the only conversation we ever get with Miller and Julie. And it's short, it's sweet, and it's very casual, all things considered. But it felt like such... A great final note for Miller. It felt like his entire story was just... It came around full circle. He he finally accomplished his, his mission, kind of. He never brought her back to her family, obviously. But he found her. He found Julie Mao, and he kept her safe in the end. And it's, it's, it's great. It's, it's such a beautiful ending for Miller. I think she... I think Julie Mao, uh, speaking of, you know, her... Uh, her reappearance in the in the story, she really took her transformation surprisingly well. You know, though she she did not freak out nearly as much as I would have expected because you know when when he does find her, she is um, she's compared to like a mermaid of yeah. sorts. So like her torso is still there. Uh, I, I I guess that we can we can probably presume her face is still probably um, if not the same pretty similar to way the way it had been left or so she didn't have any eyes at that point oh no no they she actually did, they pointed out that changed. she'd grown she'd grown new eyes um whereas before when we saw her in the uh in when we saw her as the corpse she she did not have eyes they had been replaced because tentacles or something had grown out of them but she they they did point out that she did have eyes so i guess all things considered she really took the transformation she 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 wasn't very freaked out um by anything she she took things very calmly and i think that's um that's either a very strange choice on the part of the of the authors or a very uh indicative that she's a very maybe the most resilient person ever to um to live because i i i if i don't know to to wake up and realize that you've become some sort of um eldritch abomination that exists at this nerve center uh, that that is controlling um, a space station. That that would be. I feel like th- there should have been maybe more um, existential distress that that would arise from that kind of situation. 
but regardless, I I I thought that it, you you as you rightly point out there, it, it is a very nice moment. Um, Miller gets to find her, and um, you know they 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 get to have a, a moment where they are not. Um, it's not necessarily super romantic, but I, I think he gets to feel some sort of closure uh, vis-a-vis his own um, growing romantic feelings for Julie Mao. Yeah, and I, I, I love how they, I love how they end the chapter, his final chapter, with him with her. And we haven't gotten an absolute that his plan worked, but it's just him trying to comfort her and get her to do the right the right thing. And we don't see the result of that until the final chapter of the book, the last the last Holden chapter, the the immediate following chapter. And man, I I don't know the the imagery that was used to describe what happened to Eros was just I I don't know it was it was as they say in the book it was beautiful you have the you have it careening past the earth heading on a course towards Venus which is very funny because when the last time Holden and Miller talked and Miller's like well where should I tell her to send Eros station and Holden is just like I don't know Venus just kind of as a I don't, I don't know man figure it out kind of thing to say just throwing something out there and then when they learn that it's on a court, it's changed course to Venus. Holden's like, "That was a joke," and Naomi's like, "A good <laughs> one, apparently." But having it make it to Venus, and then it just it just separates in a, in like clumps of a dozen until it becomes these tiny particles that just go into Venus. And the last thing we see is is the lightning storms over Venus as Miller, Julie, and Eros have vanished into the planet. And man, I I really hope the TV show nails that scene because man, the the the, the sight of it in my mind was just something to behold. Yeah, I I wonder how they handled that. Also, you know, it, it must be difficult. It, it probably would be difficult to you know have the the budget to make that scene really come off. You know, especially since at that point in time it was being made by Sci-Fi. I think it had like two or three, maybe four seasons on sci-fi, then it was canceled and then picked up by, I want to say, Amazon. That That's not a, a slam on sci-fi, by the way. That is just like, that you know, that, that they don't have the, the budget of like a, uh, a well, of what a, an Amazon show would, you know, like they would later. You know? Yeah, exactly. That's just, it's just a fact of the matter is that you're not, you're not going to get Game of Thrones quality or even, even just modern network quality, something like Lost or or heroes or I'm naming shows that are really old. Uh, I don't know modern TV shows on those on those TV stations. You're not going to get something that you would find on like ABC or NBC or Fox even on sci-fi because it's just it's a fringe science fiction channel. And that doesn't necessarily affect the quality of the show itself. It can still be a great show. It's just you're not going to get that quote-unquote high-quality CG or set design or production design or whatever that you would get from a standard network, but I still hope that the show did all of this really well. I've heard the show's amazing from start to finish, so I'm going to assume that it did it well, or at least well enough. So, I don't know. I'll see when you I know, watch it, but... One other thing that yeah. I, I, I 
would point out is um, in the in when we get the uh, epilogue with Fred, they they mention. Um, did you see the latest feed from Venus? Two kilometer high crystal towers. Yeah. So after after you know Julie Mao and the the molecule and all of that um, that collides with Venus, it's it's pretty you know it's it's still doing something. So I don't know. There's something that's kind of cool about that too. And I bet that that would be a really cool and striking scene as well. Mm-hmm. I I love that. Uh, Fred asks Holden, uh, "You sure it wouldn't have been better to to tell Miller to send it to the sun?" And Holden's response is, "Well, I feel like a crystal tower coming out of the sun would be a lot creepier." Which is probably true. Yeah. But- I wonder if it would have survived a collision with the sun. It shouldn't have survived the collision with Venus, so who knows? Well, it didn't really collide with Venus. It, it stopped. It just it dead stopped in the atmosphere and then came apart. Well, yeah, it, it, it broke up in the atmosphere. Yeah. But, you know, I, I guess they, they, they did, so there was not, it wasn't like a, um, like two billiard balls the way they hit each other, but it's just like, you know, it, 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 it broke up in, in, in the atmosphere of Venus and kind of dispersed. Yeah, so that's more or less how how Miller's story ends, and I I thought it was great. I I'm sad to see him go. He was my favorite character, and I loved his journey was great. from this book. A very very well written character. I think that was probably um, I don't know. I I I think he was definitely the highlight of the book for me. Just just seeing. His um, internal workings, and you know, like we like we've mentioned before, and I, I just I I think he was a he was a great character. Yeah, for um, I it, it's it's just it's it's more so a difference in tone in terms of the perspective characters, but having the difference between Holden and Miller was was really well done because Holden is as they say super righteous probably the most good man in the in the entire solar system and to a fault I, a I again I would dispute that I don't I don't necessarily agree but he believes he is righteous or he wants to be righteous yeah and I I do feel like from a moral standpoint he probably has a lot more of an objectively good stance compared to anybody that really truly matters because even someone like fred has a lot of not necessarily gray but a lot of well you know i've murdered people and in cold blood and that's just kind of the way things had to be and i don't love that i did it but i did it so whatever whereas holden is like if i have the choice no i think i think the thing about fred though is you know he that's why he's joined the opa i think it's his way of trying to atone for you know what he's done but also you know by the very virtue of of the position that he occupies within the OPA he has to make calls that you know will lead people to dying um one of the uh, prime example of that being you know when they're doing this situation where they're trying to chase um after aero station you know they're in the the Rocinante and they're they're you know following after them but they're required to do so at uh g-force levels that are not sustainable um 
that would you know until they they figured out their a, a workaround to use transponders left behind by OPA craft who were that that rigged it up to to be ready for uh, the the Nauvoo the original Nauvoo collision plan um, until they figured that out you know he was you know essentially asking them to uh, sacrifice themselves you know to to uh, be able to maintain uh, uh, targeting on it because you know as, as the ship or as Aero Station when it went to start heading to back towards Earth it it dropped off of the uh, radar scopes somehow so they had to have the, the Rocinante, you know, following behind it to, to make sure it's, it's still able to target. So, I don't know, I, I, but I think that he is, he is also that kind of character where he, he, I, he is another character like, like Miller, um, and uh, like Holden, too, that is kind of seeking, seeking their redemption, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's certainly true. I think the difference between someone like Fred and someone like like Holden, at least from a morally righteous standpoint, is Holden is very much... He has to deal with very similar decision-making and situations, but on a much more micro level, because he's mm-hmm. only having to determine the fate of him and three other people. Whereas Frank... Frank? Whereas Fred has always been in a much more grand stage of power comparatively to where he had to not only deal with the lives of his direct men, but the entire force, A, that he had control over, and B, that he was attacking, that he was fighting in the first place. So there definitely is a lot more blood on Fred's hands than Holden's just through the sheer fact of their positions. Though we do know that Holden did have a past in the Navy, and he's probably killed plenty of men in the Navy as well, but that's a little different because it's it seemed like it was just him looking at a screen and pressing a button. So, I I don't know. I don't I, I don't really think I have a point here other than I guess they both have their own form of what they find to be morally right, and they both try to follow it, but Holden has his a little more idealistic i i think and i think you hit on something important there he is more idealistic but i think it is partially by virtue of the fact that his um his area of what what he is responsible for what he has power over is very is a lot smaller so i think that's 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 one thing that's you know as one would continue in this series. I would wonder also how you um, how that that would impact you know Holden because I imagine he is going to be around as a point of view character, if not for the rest of the series, at least another book or two. You know, I, I would be interesting to see how these experiences change him because he towards the end he also um, I don't want to say he adopts um, Miller's like extremely, you know, extreme moral relativism, or I guess more dogmatic moral relativism. Um, but he does have this conversation with Naomi, where she's like, basically, she's like, you know, I, I you know, essentially Miller was right about you know killing Dresden, and yeah. he kind of he he kind of he does push back against it initially. But as the conversation goes on, 
he he at least if he doesn't necessarily agree he's in the point play, uh, he is in the place where he understands now whereas before um, he is just he totally just maybe because of his own um, it's a projection of his own uh, compunctions that he has or he ha- he's had over his life about um, his the the people he has killed um, and how and the ambiguity he feels about that um, and maybe he just projects that onto Miller so that he's like wow because he can't imagine a situation where he would want to kill again um, and he, he kind of puts that on Miller he's like I can't believe you just did that whereas after his conversation with Naomi um, he's like okay well I, I do kind of now understand that um, there is a certain there is a certain valence in the what what, Mil, what Miller did because he, he specifically and I'm not sure how he didn't notice this at the time but there is a lot of um, but Dresden was a very powerful and very wealthy and well connected person um, so he, he didn't seem to kind of realize that how the, uh, how Miller factored that into his his calculation when he when he killed him in the last uh, section that we read um, but I think that was that was an interesting conversation as well to kind of see how how that might impact uh, how Miller or how uh, Holden will will see the world moving forward. Yeah, he seemed to keep fixating on the point that he was defenseless and not innocent, but uh, he he wasn't a threat at at that time. And Naomi makes it a point to say. He was, but just not in the more, like, physically present sense that you're thinking, yeah, he didn't have a gun, yeah, he wasn't trying to attack anyone or anything like that, but what he did have was influence and power. And she even says, how long would it have taken for him to charm or bribe a guard that was holding him to let him go, and then he'd be free to go do whatever he wanted? And it's it's not about looking at it as... This man has no weapon, he's defenseless, he's our prisoner, he should not be shot and killed. And you have to look at it more so as the influence and power that this man has is more powerful than any weapon in existence. And that is shown perfectly in the start of the chapter, the Miller chapter, where he kills him. You you read it last week, where he when he looks at Miller holding up the gun, he doesn't even register it as Miller holding a gun. He just sees he, it's like he sees it as him just holding something that he's pointing toward him. And it, the lines like even a dog would be afraid, but he wasn't. And that's that's the point is this man doesn't need that. He doesn't need these these trivialities of such uncivilized humans to get his way to exude his his force. So that's why Miller shot him. That's why Miller found justification in shooting him. And that's why Naomi is like, look, I was hard on him because you were pissed, but he was right. And you need to see, you need to understand this. So I do think that was an important conversation for Naomi to have with Holden. Because yeah. he, needed to, he needed to have a little bit of a wake-up call from his remarkably naive almost black and white view of 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 morality and what is right and what is wrong i don't know if that's gonna stick it seems like it might uh if we're going off of the the epilogue when he's talking to fred and they're talking about miller and he we learn miller's full name i i don't remember how to pronounce his middle name i was looking at it and i was like uh aloish aloish isn't it isn't it aloish 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm going off memory. I, I was thinking maybe Aloysius. Um, so we learned his full name. It was like was it Josephus Aloysius Miller? Yeah. Yeah. And he's talking to Fred, saying that Miller doesn't need to be an icon. He shouldn't be used as a tool. He should be shown as who he was, as a as a belter who chose to essentially kill himself to save the earth. And Fred has the whole thing about how he I'm going to use him as a tool, as an icon, because if we do anything otherwise, then it's going to not really serve the purpose that it needs to serve. So it's better that people see him for how I present him as opposed to how he really is, which there is an argument to be made about that for sure. But to my point... Holden is talking to Fred, and in reference to Miller, he says, he was a good man, and Fred responds saying, no, he wasn't. And it's like, I don't think either are right. I don't think Miller was strictly a good man or not a good man. He was a complex man who had a lot of issues, but still had some good in him. It's, once again, you can't look at everything so black and white, because... Holden was so quick to say that Miller was a bad man after killing Dresden and how he couldn't trust him and how he was even afraid that Fred was going to have Miller shoot him when they were talking about the plan uh, for Holden keeping the the safe with the proto-molecule in it and the, the lab report files. And Naomi's like, Miller's on our side, he wouldn't do that. But Holden still had that view of he's now a bad guy, and even by the epilogue, he's changed his mind because of the sacrifice and is saying now he's a good guy, and Fred's like, well, no, he's not. So, I don't know, maybe this 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 will stick with Holden in the future, or maybe he'll just default back to his naive black-and-white view of the world. But it's nice to see that he at least understood Miller enough to a point to not necessarily forgive him, but make peace with him by the end. Yeah, I think that that's fair. But to um, to move on from Miller, I, I don't really think I have much else to say other than just more praise on the writing of his character because it was such a great character from start to finish, so much fun to read, so much fun to delve into. Unless you have something else to add... Uh, for Miller, I, I I would like to move on to the Holden half of this finale. No, other than rest in peace, close quarter killer Miller. <laughs> Indeed, shoot him in the in the thigh or the neck, Miller. <laughs> so to to do a brief synopsis of of the Holden storyline for this final bit, so Holden and the crew are supposed to go out and intercept the the scientific vessel and its escort on its way to aerostation that is sent by the United Nations and hold them up long enough for Miller and the ground crew of the OPA to come in, set the set the ships up on the docks with their bombs as a deterrence, their nukes, and get everything in place for the Nauvoo to come and ram it. So that goes successfully, more or less. Miller, not Miller, sorry. Holden gets in contact with the ship um, what was it? What was it called? The 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 racy the the Ravi is it Ravi? Yes. Um, it's it's there there. I I kept looking at it. and I I sometimes have to double take because they say the Ravi and the Rosi in like the same sentence, and I'm like, oh, uh, I'm glad I'm not dyslexic. Otherwise, that could have caused problems. So he gets into contact with them finally, and it's this brash, hothead kid, and he can't really get through to just have some sort of hey, stand down 
don't come because we're gonna we're gonna mess with you anyways and they're like oh we're gonna we're gonna blow you up and so so holden just kind of puffs up his chest and says hey we're faster than you we're we're better gunned than you if you're gonna keep going at this i'm just gonna bypass you and i'm gonna blow up your vessel that you're escorting and that's gonna throw a wrench in your plans isn't it so that stops them that's enough to stop them for the time being and then eventually once arrow starts moving it now becomes goes from being this this essentially this standoff to uh oh plans have changed because now he has to hail the Ravi and say hey um Eros disappeared off your radar right and now he's talking to the captain Captain McBride uh, instead of the the hothead kid and she's like yeah it disappeared and he's like okay well I guess maybe we should start working together and work on getting this thing tracked down because otherwise this is gonna this is gonna destroy the Earth. So now they're working together, and together they come up with uh, the. They eventually talk to and f- formulate the plan after they both have to give up on chasing Eros for the safety of the crew. They come mm-hmm. up with the plan. Holden and Naomi do with the the Ravi turning on their transponder. He realizes, wait, we could just turn on the transponder to the five ships that the OPA docked with the nukes, and we can use that to triangulate Eros. If Eros is going to stay hidden, we'll have these five blips saying, hey, here it is. And so that's when they, they essentially have a, a, a joint operation to shoot all the nukes at at Eros. And then when Miller's like, hey, I need time because I'm going to find Julian. I'm going to get this to stop my way. You won't, we won't need to use the nukes. Him and He talks to Fred and convinces Fred by buying him off with the safe, with the proto-molecule in it to have the OPA redirect the nukes that are heading towards those uh, to the, the OPA ships on Aero Station so they can buy Miller as much time as possible but only divert and not or not, not, not divert, only delay, not divert so they will eventually allow the missiles to come back around and hit Aero Station as a, as a last resort but they're now buying him more time to work out his plan to see if he can do it, which he does and once he does it, it they completely divert it and make an absolute mockery out of the earth uh navy which is very funny also pretty crazy to think about that they just launched all of their their entire nuclear arsenal and are now basically entirely disarmed or at least from a a nuclear uh, missile perspective yeah (laughs) that 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 it it is kind of funny to see the 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 earth essentially be detoothed like that or defanged rather um so the the last bit we really kind of get with with Holden and the crew in in relativity to the UNN is because of the div- diversion there the the Ravi decides that they're going to either destroy or board them. They say hey, let us board you or we're going to fire. Holden basically not really calls their bluff but shows them that either you're going to have to try and kill us and we're going to defend ourselves and maybe kill you instead. Or you're going to not do this, and we're just gonna, we're we're not gonna fight because this is pointless. And it ends up kind of working. They don't end up fighting, but it only ends up working because Miller succeeds. Yeah, so, that's about at the time when the the ship or the that the that arrow starts breaking towards uh, Venus. Yeah, so we have a nice little, not quite Deus Ex Machina, but it's definitely a perfectly timed Miller uh, to save the day kind of moment. Miller X Machina. <laughs> yeah, which really it only it, it's only for the Ravi 
as opposed to the Rossi, because let's be real here, there might have been some damage to the Rossi in the fight, but there's no way that the Ravi was going to take them down. Didn't they have like a an initial not fight per se, but they 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 basically outmaneuvered them so that they were behind them. So if they had wanted to, they could have they could have taken out the the Earth vessel. Exactly. So really, Miller saved them and not not Holton and the crew. So that that kind of ends that conflict, and then we, the last thing we get in the chapter was them watching the feed of what happens to Aerostation on Venus, and then we get the epilogue with Fred getting ready to talk to this this joint um what's the word i'm looking for here are, are you talking about the meeting fred has with all of the uh the dignitaries from yeah uh, earth and mars i guess it's some we could call it like a, summit? A, a conference a summit's a good word for that yeah fred has this this summit with earth and mars and he's acting as essentially the prime minister of the opa and this is such a beautiful bit of 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 um not irony but it's it's a little poetic that this summit is being hosted on sarah station which is essentially yeah. not where all of this started but it's where it's one it's where miller his story started and where he's from but for another it's it's because of the canterbury which was on route to sarah station so sarah's was the first victim on a grand scale of of this war so i find it, it, it it's it's very poetic that this is where it it's is it's like poetry it, it rhymes exactly we, we we've once again come full circle and holden has his final meeting with fred where they talk about miller as we mentioned earlier and he's just like hey give me some am- amnesty i'm not giving the mars ship back the rosie's mine do the salvage laws make sure that um they're not coming after us, and uh, yeah, just don't get me imprisoned. And <laughs> that's the their final conversation. Fred's basically just like, "I'll do what I can," because that's all I can really say. And that's how the book ends: is he goes out to go have his speech to the masses. Fred does, and that's more or less the plot at this point. That that's the end of the book. We did it. Woo. Yeah, I, I hope it goes well. You know, I, I like I like Fred. I, I really liked the epilogue chapter, by the way. I really enjoyed his perspective. Um, it reminded me a little bit of... Um, uh, what's his name? The, the first Mass Effect book uh, that Drew Carpishan wrote. Um, I didn't read it. I don't know. He, he, kind, of res- he kind of reminded me of uh, Anderson in the Mass Effect series, both in uh, the... The first Mass Effect novel, which actually came out before the the game came out, and um, and also in the games, he he kind of he reminded me a little bit of that that sort of like um, old Navy guy, but he's he's so he but it's it's a, that the combination of um, like the the discipline and the hardening that that kind of life gives you, but also a certain sort of uh, wry sensibility and a, and a, a, a warm humanism that in both the characters of Anderson and and also Fred who it, it's very funny that the book um, the, the book is very adamantly it calls um, Miller Miller and Holden Holden most of the time but it's always it always just calls him Fred or, or maybe not always but oftentimes just refers to the the him as just fred even though he's you know like you said essentially the de facto prime minister of the opa 
Yeah, he has he's he's the most informally described character in the book in terms of naming structure. He only he only has his full name stated when it's somebody referencing who exactly he is. It's always all the characters call him Fred, which I think he asks them to anyway, so that's just, you know, that. But yeah, everyone else it's always even the crew calls Holden Holden, and obviously Miller's always going by Miller. He never states himself as otherwise. But we have Alex, Amos, and, and Naomi who are all using their first names too, but Holden is always Holden. And we have this big, probably in terms of major characters, the most important character in the solar system. And his name's Fred. <laughs> He's just chilling. Fred, Fred's chilling. Yeah. I, I'm really glad, like I said earlier, I'm glad I was wrong with my theory of of fred turning heel because i didn't want it to happen i just knew that there were pieces there that could make it hypothetically happen and i was like uh it could i would like it to not but it could so i'm well, glad in that the hands wasn't the of case. A, le- a less subtle or talented um writer or writers that would have happened um fred would have become it would have been it would have become this very um i don't want to say juvenile but there there is a certain juvenility juvenility to it it's this this like you can't trust anybody you can only trust yourself everyone is bad you know that kind of thing that that um a lot of sci-fi um in this era anyway they they, that was that was kind of a, a little bit of a trope yeah and maybe it's just me being victim to enough of that tropey writing for me to just immediately expect Oh, well, where's the twist gonna come where Fred is suddenly the last villain of the book? And it didn't happen because this book is well-written. So, which isn't necessarily to say that anytime that happens, it's bad writing. But it, it no. definitely feels tired. Yeah, and it, it, it requires a certain touch to do it. And uh, otherwise, it just comes off as, like, uh, aughts cringe, but... You know, gimmick? It, it, like like I said, um, they they they're. I, I think they could have. They're they're talented enough that I think they could have carried it off, with it only being uh, a moderately like. Well, I wouldn't have done that, but it, they but they they uh, they're talented enough. I think to see that that it kind of became a, a thing, kind of a, l- a little bit tired, a little bit long in the tooth at that point, and kind of zagged there. So yeah. credit to them. Yeah. But how how do you feel about the crew of the Rocinante at this point? So we have the 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 Holden and Naomi relationship finally blooming into something. Well, I as far as how I feel about them, um, I I, I think I think uh, Holden is is kind of growing as a character a little bit. Um, if I were to continue, if he were to continue the path that he's on, I'm sure I would I would grow to like him more. Um, but as I, I, I definitely liked him more by the end of the book than I guess the Nadir for me was some somewhere around the second act uh, where I was like, okay, I really just do not like this guy. I, I do not I don't care anything about him. I don't care whether he lives or dies. Um, but by the by the end, I was like, okay, I, I kind of I, I, he grew on me a little bit. Um, and I think he, he grew as a person. Which was also very uh, a, a, made some very welcome had some welcome growth. So I don't know. I'm I'm generally pro Holden at this moment. 
Um, like I said, I, I like Naomi. I think she's a very smart, very uh, canny person. Uh, she She's a lot more, um, I guess, emotionally intelligent or perceptive in that way. Um, and she's and that's that's kind of always been the way she's presented in the book and that's you know it's it's a lot it's nice to read um sometimes that that could be you know in, in the hands of a less talented pair of writers they could have just used her as like an exposition um just like she she just she comes in and says things that are that that clear things up for you know readers that maybe miss something or to, to make Holden, um, although she does kind of serve that function for Holden, like she she kind of is able to really from the from the moment that they um, they meet up, she's you know taking she kind of clocks Miller as a uh, as a as a friend or at least friendly to their their general cause from the very beginning, and she's she's taking him aside like hey. You know, you're, you know, be, go easy on this guy. He's, you know, he's he clearly knew Julie because they, they didn't know, they didn't know the, the nature of his uh, relationship such as it was with Julie, but she could tell that he was affected in that moment. Um, she's also very helpful as, in terms of like, um, analyzing the Holden character. She kind of, she can kind of provide certain color about his his past actions and the way he interacts with other people. Um, so I, I don't know. I really like Naomi as a character. Um, Amos, he's okay. He's just like, you know, he's one of those guys that's just like dumb muscle. He's if, in, if this was, if this took place in like the, the, the 1930s and said the future, he'd be like, you got it boss. You know, he's, he's that guy, but for Holden, um, Alex, for this, for the most part, he has like nice moments where he'll do something, and you're like, "Oh yeah, that was pretty smart. Good, good job, Alex." But mostly, he seemed he seems there as like like almost a joke character. He's like, "Hey, here's this guy. He's he's kind of fat, and he has a tax, Texas accent, and he flies the plane." Yeah, it's like or I flies said. the the spaceship. Yeah, it's like I it's like I said in a in a previous episode. It seems like Alex is important to the characters, but he's not important to the plot. And it's kind of a shame because I thought I thought he'd be more important than he ended up being. Yeah, I definitely hope that there's room for him to become a more important character in in the later novels, because I do feel like obviously Holden is the main character. He's going to get the biggest pull out of the entire group, and of course Naomi is as well because she's the second in command. She's the love interest, and she's a great character straight up but other than that you'd expect Amos and Alex to at least have a similar amount of pull in the in the writing based on their their importance in terms of being a part of the crew but all we really get from that is is Amos and I I I think he's 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 very fun he's a very well established and very well written character to fit the role that they wanted him to play and he, his color commentary is is sometimes a nice little comedic break in in the action. So I definitely appreciate Amos, and I do think that uh, he got the right amount of development and focus in the story. And then Alex is just he he exists, and it's fine. I don't feel like the book is worse because Alex didn't get that that 
amount of focus as even Amos got. But it is something that I do wish will be rectified in later on as the series progresses, that we get a more fleshed-out Rosinante crew that's a lot more rounded in terms of its characterization and, and, and focus, as opposed to it clearly being Holden and Naomi with some nice look at with Amos, and then you just have Alex. So that that's something I would like in the future, but like I said, it is by no means a detriment to Leviathan Wakes. Yeah. Uh, the the only and 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 I and I understand that the, this you have to make some ch- some um, decisions uh, when it comes to you know storytelling and you know that this book is by no means a short book it's it's around five hundred and sixty pages and um, even then you still have to make you have to be smart about what you what you have in there versus what you cut but I do think that Alex could have provided a good. Uh, well, you know how Holden has like a more Earth perspective. Um, Miller had a more Belter perspective. Not that he had to become like a what is it? Is it a tritagonist? Not tag- protagonist, deuterogonist, deuterotagonist, and then there's is it a tritagonist. I don't know. I'll take either way. He it. didn't have to become the third third protagonist. It would it just would have been nice to have a a, a more Mars perspective, and he kind of does that a little bit when they're on the Donager, the the Mars craft. Uh, that was that that he was kind of useful from that perspective, but I I would have liked that more uh, throughout the book. Yeah, from there on, after the Donager, it just kind of becomes a, a character trait that they just kind of mention when it's when it's necessary to. They're like, oh yeah, Alex is from Mars, and it's not really, it's not really used other than just to say if I was talking about you I'd be like oh Daniel is from Texas and that that would be mm-hmm. that would be that it would be like you your 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 use of knowledge that would come from exclusively being a Texan which I, I don't really think that that is any form of expertise but just for sake of this argument is is never used in anything it's just when I need to say something about you it's you're from Texas and that's that right so it, it, it's definitely, uh, if if I'm going to, to have this concession, it's definitely a weakness of the book that Alex is used how he is. But he's not a major character. He's only supposed to be seen as any form of major because he is part of the Rosinante crew. So mm-hmm. I think it's so much so, it's me trying to prop him up as something more than he is and having that even if it's very, very minor, that minor disappointment that he's not. So, that might be a me thing. Yeah, I mean, and I wouldn't even necessarily regard it as a disappointment per se. It's just one of those things that I think could have been used more effectively is all. Yeah. So, I think we've, uh, I think we've hit that point. Uh, final thoughts about Leviathan Wakes, Daniel? Leviathan Wakes was a very, you know, a very well-written book. Um, I think it it, uh, it it really excels in terms of plot. Uh, very it, it, uh, two different junctures. The uh, particularly the arrow station uh, moment and the uh, the well both arrow station moments really. When when they when uh, Miller and um, when Miller and Holden were on arrow station and there was like the whole like. The, the initial infection outbreak that was a very just uh, that was a real page turner i in that moment you know i was 
I stayed up like after after my bedtime for the first time reading for the first time in like I don't even know how long maybe maybe fifteen years twenty years who knows um, so that that and and then again uh, that that same thing happened when we got to the point where they were um, you know when they were tracking aerostation um, you know what after after uh, Julie Mao and her and and the the proto molecule had taken it over. You know, I, that was it was another moment where I was, you know, stay, literally, you know, staying up past my bedtime for an hour and and change to get every, you know, just cuz I was so engrossed in finding out what happened next. So that that, you know, I have very very high praise for that. Uh I think the world that they built is very interesting and um for the most part, you know, a, a pretty good um pretty good representation of uh, how how society you know would conceivably um, I guess sh- uh, stratify as as it kind of goes out you know to the different section to the belt to Mars versus you know the people that are still from Earth you know I think that that was very well done and I think it, it was all pretty interesting um, I think I, I think the, the characters even though I I was I, I I've been mentioning that I've been kind of lukewarm on them to a certain extent that does not necessarily mean they were poorly written they were actually quite well written particularly Miller who you know as I said before is you know he he has a he's a very um a very rich and layered character the way that you don't you don't always see in uh genre fiction like this so he's you know I have a lot of a lot of praise for their for their writing just in general i i think it's a very good book um i think that there you know i think there are things about it that maybe you know some some people may or may not like i think it, it deals with um mature themes um in terms of uh well in terms of like suicide and, in, and violence and you know uh, interpersonal violence you know sexual assault there there are there is a lot there that if you have not read this book, that 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 would be, um, if you're sensitive to that kind of thing, you might you might have have some problems with this book. But I think, you know, largely if you're if you're into sci-fi, I definitely would recommend uh, you know checking it out. You know, give it a shot. I think I think most people would would come away with this pretty positive. Yeah, I think those are all all really good points. Uh, it's it's no secret that I, I absolutely adored this book. This has been such a treat for me. I, I feel like I haven't read a book this captivating and just this engrossing in a very long time, for me at least. And I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's just there's so many things I could say about it that I, I loved. It was... I, I think the thing that really did it for me is I'm such a sucker for character writing. Like, my favorite TV shows are character-based TV shows, not plot-based. So, if if you give me good, well-written, well-fleshed-out, well-motivated characters, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a much easier time falling in love with the book than if it was just purely a very good plot. So, the characterization in this novel was just fantastic. I loved it from start to finish. I loved how all the characters, all the major characters were handled, how they were written. I, I Everything felt believable to me in terms of their motivations, 
their personalities, their convictions, and it just it just it flowed really well. The pacing of this novel was was fantastic. I never felt like anything was dragging or moving too quickly. I think everything happened when it needed to, and it just. I don't know, it felt great to read. I don't really know a better way to put it other than it just felt great to read. It was such a fun book. And I I, I loved I loved it. It was great. I don't know. I don't That's, know what else to say other than being uh, outside of repeating myself. This book was a 10 out of 10 for me. That that's a good point uh, that I didn't mention that this is a very well-paced book. If you're if you're reading it um if you've never read it before and are curious about it, you know, it's you there's never really a moment a chapter, even a page, where where you're like, okay, this is just kind of filler. Everything feels very necessary, and it feels, you know, like it's it's building towards something. Yeah. And I will say, once again, Daniel, you have chosen the perfect stopping point for this episode. Well, I mean, it's hard to get any better than the last page. Yeah. Uh, how Any, um... Any book knower supremacy you want to brag about for for this section? Um, you know, I, I just I just want to to just just pat myself on the back one last time for getting the 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 uh, extraterrestrial alien thing going for 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 clocking that from the beginning. I just you know. It was. I feel like they, they they did they worked a lot. They worked pretty hard to kind of hide that aspect of it. Um, but I think one thing that they did that was kind of clever was that it was an extraterrestrial threat, but they kind of wrapped it back around into um, a very familiar threat that, and and one that is that is you know relevant, you know even even now is the, this idea of of uh, wanton corporate greed and sociopathy, and so I, I thought that that was a very clever you know I guess this this is me patting them on the back too. Um, you know, th- I thought that was very well done as well. Yeah, maybe this was my lack of attention on any possible clues that would have been used, but I definitely personally would not have had the thought of extraterrestrial interference in my head without you having brought it up in, what was it, the the second episode or the first? No, I think it was the second. It probably was the second yeah, because I think it was when we were talking about the Donager, the 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 the, the attack on the Donager. Oh, so yeah. it definitely was not something that I would have been thinking about without you having essentially planted the the thought in my head back then. So when it did come around and it was revealed that the proto molecule was extraterrestrial in origin, uh, I, I just immediately thought back to that and I'm like, oh man, Daniel was right. Nice. I don't- I don't know. I think I think that's that's very interesting, and that's that's a thread that I would like to see um, where that goes. You know, later in later novels. You know, I, I I feel like that's that's not quite done yet. Where I think this sort of um, I'm just going to call them a the progenitors. That's uh, probably not a the that's probably not like the the most clever thing there. But that they they this this race that existed billions of years before the development of human life. That sent this molecule, the the proto molecule, to do some form of terraforming or to or some sort of uh, transformation of all organic matter on Earth all those billions of years ago. I I wonder if that's ever going to circle back around. Uh, I would I I would probably bet that it does. I do think that's a safe assumption. 
otherwise i guess the entire nine book series would be focusing on the the uh socio-political conflicts between earth mars and the belt yeah and that would be hard to do after you already kind of open yourself up to a, a galactic level to kind of like crunch it back down yeah not impossible but with nine books i feel like you would have to get some sort of external force to throw in a new conflict for everyone to deal with well that that's that that should wrap it up um you know i'd like to you know thank everybody for coming along this journey with us for listening um i'm i'm you know very excited about what we've got next um do you do we want to tell them or do we want to make it keep it a surprise no let's let's definitely keep it a surprise okay fair enough but yeah i think you'll you'll like it this is a little bit of a change of pace and it's a, it's quite a bit shorter so it'll just be a little short diversion and then we'll be uh probably back covering our 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 uh our, our natural um sci-fi beat yeah I, i'm not sure because uh i i we haven't gotten far enough to the book after next so still some uh still some deliberations there but yeah i i definitely feel like i could have talked about this book more and more we did a very a very kind of bare bones summary and i i did want to focus more or so on the characters this time as opposed to the plot as a whole because i felt like that was more important especially in this section despite it being the end of the novel but yeah uh i don't know like i said i, I could talk about this book for hours it was just it was so good well thank you everybody for listening this is daniel and this is dusty and we'll see you next time. Take care.